Let me ask you to uh, turn to Acts chapter 10. And after a little break from uh, the book of Acts that we were moving through uh, for 21 messages so far, uh, we are back there. Uh, We had Advent and uh, some other uh, things that have come in between. And what we're seeing is the, uh, as we're, we've called this the empowered church, and uh, in the book of Acts, we see Jesus uh, giving the command to go, and then he empowers the church to obey that command. He enables them to do that. He pours out his spirit upon them, and then they begin to experience growth as a church numerically. They begin to reach out, but in so doing, of course, the evil one is opposed to that, and he attacks the church in various ways, to which God, not responding, but as the king of the universe, overrules and takes that which Satan would throw up against the church, whether it is lying and deceit within the church, whether it is persecution from outside the church, and he uses that to scatter the church and then to cause it to continue to grow. And yet, it is a church. And within the church, there is always the need for growth and understanding, for us to see our blind spots. And that's what we will see today. That uh, God is taking them to another level of fulfilling what he said, and that is that the gospel is to go. And it's to go to all peoples. That was a radically different message than they thought it would be. And as we uh, today will be in chapter 10, we see that, that they still hadn't gotten it, that they were sending the message, but it was going to others that they saw as like themselves, Jewish, the called of God, God's chosen people. Now, Today, we are, um, we're going to go through a number of verses, but rather than read it all at once, I'm going to read it a little chunk at a time, and then we will talk about it. Imagine someone comes to visit St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church this morning, <clears throat> and when they walk in the front door, they are told you may not go into the sanctuary. You can stay out here in the front foyer or maybe one of the the side foyers or even sit in the gathering place. You can listen, but you may not participate in the sanctuary. And then when the people that were in the sanctuary leave after worship is over, 
We all walk right by those people, not acknowledging them, not just because we missed seeing them or because they were kind of out of the way, but because in our view and in our minds, we see them as being second-class people. And the rest of us, the ones here in the sanctuary, we, we are his favorites. Does that sound like anything familiar to you? Well, what I just described isn't something I was describing as having taken place here in the United States, though that perhaps could have at some point. But what I'm describing is what took place in the first century church. Jewish and Gentile. Where the Gentile would have been required to stay outside of the sanctuary area. Let's take a look at how God deals with this, with the early church. In Acts chapter 10, beginning with the first verse. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly In a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent to Joppa. This uh, Cornelius, a centurion, now that corresponded roughly with uh, a company commander, maybe a captain Uh, in our day. He was described as God-fearing, and we're not sure exactly what that meant, whether it's just in the general sense that he was religious, or maybe in a more technical sense that he had accepted the monotheism of the Jews and in that way was considered uh, to be God-fearing. We simply don't know. A Gentile could be a a proselyte, one who had converted, but they would consider it a proselyte at the gate because that was as far as they could go. Accepting the one God, monotheism, accepting the ethical standards of the Jews and attending synagogue services, 
but not in the mind of the Jews were they fully converted because they were uncircumcised. And the Jews saw that as meaning absolute conversion. Now, it's kind of hard, it's, I think, for us in our day to imagine the uh, kind of the impassable gulf that they put in place between the Jews and the Gentiles, including God-fearers, those uh, Gentiles who feared God. And it's not that the Old Testament even put that in, into place or condoned it. Israel, it's true, was the elect nation. But they twisted the doctrine of election to where basically they were saying, what that means is we're God's favorites and we deserve something by way of favoritism from God. And so racially, they looked down on those around them, certainly on the Gentiles. They hated them. They saw them as dogs, not dogs like we think of our little pet dogs, but as filthy, dirty, less of a human than they were. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile or invite a Gentile into his home. You just wouldn't do it. So that, that's the entrenched gulf which had to be overcome before Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community and before, before the church could become truly universal. That's the background as to why God prepared Peter in the way he did. Let's read on, verse 9. <clears throat> the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a, a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I've never eaten, eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So let's, let's go back and see what was going on here. Um, Peter was hungry, not unlike some of you about 11.30. Peter fell into a trance, not unlike some of you about 11.12. 
But then, then he had a vision. And in this vision, seems rather strange to us, a sheet being lowered from heaven, and there's a bunch of animals in it. Well, actually, animals, reptiles, and other kinds of God's creation. Peter's told to to kill and eat, and he says, by no means, Lord. You know, he, he looks at it and he says, no way. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, why the reaction? Well, the Jewish dietary laws were so strict. And I think it's hard for us to imagine how that could get in the way to that degree, uh, how repugnant that was for Peter. Um, I tried to think of some examples. Maybe for some of you it would be like uh, eating venison. Now, I don't have a problem with that, but I know there are some people that if you told them this is deer meat and you put it down in front of them, they would say, oh, I can't eat Bambi. It's always Bambi. (laughs) And they can't even imagine putting that in their mouth. Uh, I'm not a good example to to think through this. Not only do I have a problem with venison, but in all the countries I've been to, I've liked the food. I mean, I ate raw meat off from a street vendor in Turkey. So my palate is pretty tolerable, okay? <laughs> but if you can picture, I don't know if you've, yeah, my, my favorite channel is a travel channel, and on there is a show called Bizarre Foods. Some of you have seen that. And there are some things I see on that show that I think would be very hard to to eat, that he goes all over the world and eats various kinds of foods, and it's just hard for me to imagine. That's the closest thing I can think to this. Basically, Peter saw that, and he was okay until God said, kill and eat. And then it gagged him. He said, I I can't do that. Because he had grown up knowing that it was wrong and it was against God's will to eat those things. And that's why he says, I've never put anything common in my mouth. And then there's God's answer to that. Verse 15, what God has made clean Do not call common. And then it says, this happened three times. (laughs) Isn't that just Peter? (laughs) It's always three times. It takes him three times. And here again, it took him three times. Now, what was this about? Was it about food? 
Let's go on. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Remember what I just said about inviting Gentiles in? Well, God didn't leave Peter wondering for very long what this, what this vision was about. The men came to him, verse 20, without hesitation. That's the key expression. Now, that's a, that's a good translation, or it could be translated without misgiving. But there's, there's another way this could be looked at. It could mean... Making no distinction. Chapter 11, verse 12, Peter explains his actions. It says, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. What's the distinction? Well, the vision is making a distinction between clean and unclean food. The Spirit related this to the distinction between Jews and Gentiles, clean and unclean people, and basically said, look, things have changed. Things are different, and they must be different. If God says food is clean, food is clean. After all, he's the one that said it wasn't. Before, for your obedience. If God says those people are clean, they are clean. Now look at what Peter did. He invited them in, apparently, to spend the night. Even though they were uncircumcised Gentiles, they were dogs, he would not invite them in, but... He asked them in to his house, even though moments before he would have considered them unclean. Let's go on, verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, uh, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I, I too am a man. 
And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Now let's look at what he did. Look how perfectly he dovetailed what he was doing with Cornelius and what he was doing with Peter. While Peter's praying and seeing the vision, the men are approaching the city. Peter is perplexed about the meaning of what he'd seen. They arrive at his house. Peter's still thinking about the vision. The Spirit tells him that the men were looking for him and he must not hesitate to go with them. And when Peter went down, introduced himself to them, they explained to him the purpose for the visit. It was all in God's providential preparation, his moving over here and moving in Peter's heart and bringing them together for God to do his goodwill and to teach his church something important. Now, next week, we're going to look at, at the message that was spoken. But look at how the kingdom is advanced when there's obedience on the part of his people. Verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When Peter learns this lesson, the kingdom is advanced. Paul in Galatians said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How can that be? Only because of the gospel of Christ. Only. There is no human reason that should take place. Here we are on Sanctity of Life Sunday. The basis of our understanding of the sanctity of life from the moment of conception to the moment of death, that all of life is sacred, the basis for that is that we are image bearers of God. The basis for there being no partiality among God's people 
is that we are image bearers of God. We have fallen. There is sin in this world. There is sin among the image bearers of God. But what God makes new, what God does not call common, what He makes clean, we should not call common. Let me give you some supposes. Suppose a person calls and says, I've been attending your church, and in the past, I have been actively gay. I've repented of it, but I struggle every single day. Or someone calls and says, I'm married. I have four children. My husband is abusive. He's an alcoholic. When he's drinking, he beats me. And he has beaten our children. They're terrified. And when I got pregnant again for the fifth time, I had an abortion. Or someone says, I have AIDS and I'm going to die from it. Or someone says, I have a prison record. The reason I went to prison was because I abused my four-year-old daughter in our home. When she was four. Now, all four of those are real. I could give you dozens more of those. All of these were people that either called me or came in to my office at some point in my ministry and said something, virtually what I have said here, and the implied question at the end was, am I welcome at your church? What if someone approaches you with one of those stories or any number of stories and says, can I come to your Sunday school class? Or can I be part of your small group? What's going to be your answer? Like Peter, at first, are you going to say, surely not? 
That's not who we are. We don't let unclean things around us. If so, it's got to come down to the question. Do we believe the gospel applies without favoritism? Do we believe that when God declares one clean, he is truly clean? All of those that I mentioned had turned from their sin. Some of them struggled a great deal and all of them had a great deal of guilt that they were dealing with. But in each case I mentioned, my answer was, not only are you welcome, but there's no better place for you than under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the place. For those who know that they are broken sinners. If any of us are clean, it is only by grace. May St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church be a church who welcomes any who would seek his mercy at the cross. Because in the gospel there is no partiality. Let's bow together. Lord, we hear of situations, maybe we're in some of those situations or something parallel, but even if we're not, it is only because of your grace that has restrained us. Will you remind us of that? It's so easy to be like Peter was before he got it and to say, by no means, that would not be me. but will you put us in touch with what we are capable of and remind us of the redeeming power of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.